0: The following is a presentation of Bridges Community Church. Our teacher today is Pastor Ken Jung. For more information on Bridges Community Church, visit us online at www.bridgescc.org. Welcome to um, Bridges this morning. Wow, I forgot how heavy this thing is. It's like, okay, okay, throw out my back again. My goodness, this thing is solid. Don't want me going anywhere, I guess. Um, okay. Um, you know, we can't plan how this if works out in staff, but of course, I'm the person who lived in Hong Kong for eight years, so you can't speak Cantonese. So of course, on the weekend of Chinese New Year, I'm the one who's preaching. So, And one time I've taught you five Cantonese words, and I forgot to t- or phrases, or what Pastor Ray says, five non-Cantonese ways of saying it, but... I'll give you one more, and most of you know this one, but Happy New Year, right? Gung Hei Fat Choi. Someone said, Gung Hei Fat Choi. And that's the only one that really matters growing up as a young Chinese boy, but my parents were so Americanized, you know, and it's not about the money, but if you ask Pastor Ray, it is. But, anyways, <laughs> you know, we got like one or two dollars, and I'm, I'm assuming Ray probably doubled or tripled or quadrupled that because. For us, Chinese New Year wasn't a, as a big thing as most of you probably know by now. But I don't want to just talk about Chinese New Year, but I wanted to, you know, in behalf of those um, who are celebrating it, and you have friends and colleagues and neighbors, I just, you know, wanted to wish you that. But we have a S- Super Bowl today. Anybody going to watch the Super Bowl? Okay, real fans are still going to watch it, I realize that. But who are, who's pulling for the Seattle Seahawks? One or two? I see a hand. I see a hand. See, notice the singular okay, there's a hand there. You must be from Seattle. That's great. Good weather. Um, what about who's pulling for the Denver Broncos? Whoa! bandwagons! Yeah, that's true. Some of you don't care, you're right. Yes. Some of us are sore losers, too. <laughs> My team didn't even make the playoffs. Anyways, we're in this series about breaking the mold. And throughout the year, we're going to be talking about living out the gospel story. And as we talk about a little about the Super Bowl, their story is training camp, off-season training camp, lifting weights, exercise, film study. And every day, these athletes are living the story to make it to the Super Bowl. And all this week, I mean, we hear it just... I mean, you probably didn't even listen to it. Interview after interview after interview after interview. And what are these talking about? They're talking about living the Super Bowl story. Right? Because their whole life, since maybe they were five or six, maybe some of them played like in peewee football, or maybe some of them started out later in high school, and they made it to the pros, and every day... They're thinking and dreaming, training their bodies in the film study, living for the Super Bowl study. And that's their focus. That's their dream. But I want to say something, that we have something greater, grander, more beautiful, more lasting, more enduring than a living for the Super Bowl story. We have living, living For the gospel story. And throughout this year, we're going to be focusing on different ways to encourage, to challenge you, to live out the gospel story. And today, we're going to be talking about Timothy. And you're looking at this outline, you're thinking, if we get to point four, that's good, Ken, and then finish the next one, maybe at home or something. We're going to rifle through some of this. But I thought of a person this week of someone who lived out the gospel story. And if you haven't been here, Ron mentioned this earlier. We have these shards that, at the end, when Harry releases you, we have this opportunity. If you didn't do this last week, to put down names of friends or family members on these shards, or right outside the you know the doors upstairs and downstairs, and there's places you could put them in there. We want you to be part of that. We're going to put these names on there, and this is part of our pie, right? Praying is one, two, three, perhaps four or five people inviting them to your community. It could be for hiking. It could be for a meal. It could be for the Super Bowl. And then eventually engaging them in a spiritual conversation. And so I want to focus on Timothy this morning. But before we even talk about Timothy, we need to set the idea of what is the gospel story. And I'm going to fly through some of these. You could do these for yourself. But four simple points. The question is, where do we fit into this grand narrative of God. And so you have the setting, a conflict, a climax and resolution. The setting is simply this, that we have this awesome God who created the heavens and the earth. We have all these attributes of God. For example, he's holy, he's loving, he's the creator. But we've sinned. We've rebelled against God. And the songs that we sang today that Harry chose specifically highlighted the fact that we have lived selfish lives to please ourselves. And that's the conflict. That's why we do the things we don't want to do. That's why we fail to do the things we know we ought to do. And that's why sometimes when you reflect on life, you think you were created for a different world. You created for a better world because we are in conflict and we are broken people. We experience this brokenness. And as this grand narrative is weaved out, we reach a climax approximately 2,000 years ago. Now the whole Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. But it's in the cross and in the grace of God, when Christ comes, He's here to take our brokenness, to make us whole. All these verses we could read, but it talks about all our sins can be forgiven, that we can be new creations in Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ became a sin offering. To us. And that is the climax of history where God was moving. Now, different other religions from the East and different other philosophies talk about history that goes in a circle, kind of repeats itself, but that's not the God of the Bible. It's His story, it's His Son. And it all points to Jesus Christ and it reaches that climax. And so, if you're here this morning, you're wondering, what is your place in the world? Beware of the setting. Understand the conflict of our brokenness and our sin. Realize that in this great story, there's a climax that reaches it at the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, where we can be reconciled to God. But like all good stories, there's a resolution. And these days, stories are different, right? In the old days, you'd have, they lived happily ever after. But now stories are, leave it up to the reader to interpret and to apply. And that's what we have here this morning with your friends, with your family members, those you've written their names on these shards, last week and perhaps today. We need to make a decision. Or we need to help people make decisions. In order to have resolution, we need to give people the opportunity to follow Christ. We need to give them the opportunity to trust not in themselves, not on their own knowledge, not in their own experiences, not in their own religion but to trust in Christ alone for salvation. That's how he resolved the story. And you know what? It's not going to be the all lived happily ever after. Some people will choose Christ, and some will simply reject Christ. But what is our role? Is to help them understand their role in this grand narrative of a setting, of a conflict, of a climax, and the need for resolution. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. As you turn toward this, turn turn inside to your you know, your sermon notes. Christ comes on the scene, he resurrects, he sends out the twelve disciples, he appears to Paul, and Paul has these missionary journeys that we covered in the book of Acts. If you were with us, it took about, I don't know, 70 weeks to talk about this. No, something like that. Great book. But I want to focus on Timothy's life. And I'm going to go through this kind of quick. But I want you to understand how it reaches its... Chapter 4 is this great chapter in 2 Timothy. I'm sure we'll one day choose 2 Timothy. But chapter 4 is like the climax of the whole letter. But I want you to understand how Timothy's life was shaped by God and the scriptures. And how chapters 1, 2, and 3. And I want you to think for a moment. Step outside. Forget the Super Bowl. Forget Chinese New Year. Forget you're texting or whatever you're doing, right? Try to pretend that you're Timothy. And some of you know a lot about Timothy, great. And maybe Timothy is the first time you've heard about Timothy. That's okay, that's why we give you the outline. So I'll try to take you through this and try to just imagine what it would be like to be Timothy. He was raised in Lystra. He had this godly heritage. For Second Timothy 1.5 talks about his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, that they were believers. Now, his father was not. And I just want to pause right here. Do we have any grandparents in, the, in here? Anybody, any grandparents? I just want to encourage you and commend you. I know that you pray for your sons and daughters. You pray for your grandchildren. And you want to share the gospel with them. And I, and I just want to say to all of you parents and grandparents, that your faith your prayers, your love for your children, raising them up is not in vain. And who knows 5, 10, 15 years from now that a quote-unquote Timothy will not be developed. Can you imagine that? Lois and Eunice. When that little baby was born and he you know, grew up and started you know, crawling on the ground and the dirt and started walking, little Timothy, they're praying for him. They're encouraging him. They're teaching him the scriptures. Who would have thought he would be accompanying the apostle Paul on his second and third missionary journeys? He knew the scriptures from an early age. He was probably converted during Paul's first missionary journey. Actually, I should say you. You became a co-worker with Paul on his missionary journeys. In fact, when Paul was imprisoned, you spent time with Paul in Rome. Now, eventually, Paul was set free and you were appointed as a, a pastor or like a, a key leader of many churches in Asia. And when Paul was in prison for the second time, after post-Book of Acts, he writes this letter to you. In fact, 2 Timothy, this letter to you, to me, that's his last recorded New Testament letter. Now, he might have written other ones, but in the New Testament, that's the last letter we have from Paul. And so as we are here in First Timothy... I want to highlight what he says to you, to me, to this spiritual community, because we are all like Timothy this morning. And I'm going to highlight. He says this. Use your spiritual gifts. Don't be fearful. Fan the flame that God has given you. Can you think about that? You guys have done barbecues and things. Where you just fan the flame. You make it stronger, hotter. You put the oxygen in there. And that's what he says to you this morning: Don't be afraid, don't be timid. Don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. But in speed, conduct, love, faith and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. Don't be ashamed of Jesus or others like Paul. We need to guard the deposit the gospel that was given to us. We need to spiritually invest and disciple and mentor others. Paul also tells us that we are to be approved of God, that we are to teach God's worth truthfully. And he says, stop babbling, stop gossiping. Use your tongue for godly purposes. And in fact, Timothy, flee from all these fleshly desires, but pursue faith, love, peace and purity. Be on the guard. Be aware of those who oppose godliness. Those who oppose the truth. Be aware of these people, Timothy. And he says at the end of chapter 3, continue to follow my, Paul, right? Paul's writing the letter. Continue to follow my example and the scriptures. And so you get all these exhortations. You get all this encouragement. And then chapter 4 comes. And that's what we're going to do. Page 996 For those of you who have um, ESV Bibles in your pews, it's on page 996. I'll give you a second to turn to that, and I'll read that. And so I want to set this up for you. What kind of person Timothy was? A great servant, humble. He accompanied the apostle Paul. His mother and grandmother were so instrumental in his spiritual formation. He knew the scriptures as a young lad, as a young person. And he saw miracles, of course. And he saw persecution. And he saw hardship. And there were times that he was probably hungry. There were times he probably thought, what are we doing here? And he was probably confused at times. And even had doubts, I'm sure. And so 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. Chapter 4. Again, it's on page 996 of the ESV Bibles. And I'm going to read that. So this is what Paul says to all of us this morning. and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. For I, Paul, am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. Isn't that great? As we end this series, this, again, we're going to be doing breaking the mold for the whole year. But we're ending this first series with highlighting Timothy who's living for the gospel, suffering for the gospel, shared the gospel, lived it out, and modeled it. And Timothy was so human. He had he was timid at times. Sometimes he wasn't confident. He felt like maybe I was too he was too young. We can all relate to that. And as you turn again into your sermon notes right across on the third page, I want to highlight four ways to live the gospel story from chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. The first one is simply this. Preach the word. Now, this word can be translated proclaim. So preach the word, proclaim the word. Always be ready. In season, out of season. You just never know when the opportunity comes, when someone knocks on your door, texts you, gives you a phone call, wants to meet or wants to share about their life. We have to be ready. It could be at 12 o'clock at night. It could be 6 o'clock in the morning. You could be hiking. It doesn't matter. But Paul says to be ready. You want to live for the gospel message? Be ready to preach it. Be ready to proclaim it. In season, out of season. Reprove, exhort with complete teaching and be patient. Why does Paul say this? Because he says that people will listen to anything. You have friends. We have family members. You know what? People are looking for truth. Now, I know the world will say they're not looking for truth, but people really want some anchor to put their soul on, so to speak. They really do. But the problem is they'll choose that truth and that truth, or they'll they'll choose a pluralistic truth, that all truth is truth. I mean, those are the truths that they're choosing. People are hungry for the truth. And that's why Paul says, Timothy... Be ready, in season, out of season. You just don't know when your neighbor's gonna need to hear the truth from you. You just don't know. So be ready. Two, the second way to live out the gospel story is to be sober-minded. Obviously, is a play on words here. You know, don't be drunk. Don't, be sober-minded, right? Because truth and values have gone away in the side. But be sober-minded, Know what the truth is, and then live it out. Live out the gospel message. Live out the grace of God in your life. When your talk and your walk are consistent and coherent, people pay attention. It's when they get misconstrued and we become too hypocritical that people don't want to listen. So be sober-minded, Timothy. 3. I got some bad news for you. I mean, there's some really good news. You you have these gifts. There's some great news that you have this deposit that I want you to guard, that the Holy Spirit's with you. You have all these, there's some really good news. But I got some bad news for you, Timothy. You're gonna suffer. In fact, you need to not just suffer, but you need to endure suffering. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. You need to endure suffering. That means when we share the gospel, when we live out the gospel, these five names or two names or how many names you put on these shards, you're gonna feel rejected. You're gonna invite them to a sweet Friday. And I know that many women and um, f- friends came, but I know from, there are other people who invited friends who didn't come, and you're gonna feel rejected. You're gonna feel a little hurt. Not only will you feel rejected sometimes, but you're going to be ridiculed. You go to church? You waste your time going to that Bible study? You believe that some, somebody rose from the dead? How, how foolish is that? Hey, you're a pretty smart person. You believe in science and everything. How could you believe in that? You're going to be ridiculed. You're one of those Jesus freaks that stand in the corner. You're one of the people that the media talks about. You're going to be ridiculed. Not only are you going to be rejected, not only are you going to be ridiculed, but in certain contexts, you may lose a job perhaps. I know that's not legal, but you may lose a job. You may lose some friends. And in certain contexts, you will be intimidated physically and even beaten physically, absolutely, depending on where you live. And Timothy says this, you need to be ready to endure suffering. You have to be ready. We cannot think that, this is what we call this Christianity that sometimes we grow up in, that we're entitled to things. If I live the good life, if I follow God, if I, you know, keep the commandments the best I can, I'm entitled to blessings. I'm entitled to good health. I don't have to have the the greatest house, but I need to, I'm, I'm entitled to a good home. I don't need the fanciest car, but you know, because I've been following God and I've been raising my kids a certain way and I've been telling people about Jesus, I have this, Entitlement, spirituality, that God's gonna, you know, He's kind of forced to bless me. Now, again, I don't want the fanciest car, but I want a good car. Because I'm entitled because, you know, I'm a good Christian. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Pardon me. But Paul shakes that and he says, You will suffer, Timothy. And so I'm here not to sugarcoat anything. You're gonna to to endure suffering if you wanna live out the gospel. If you wanna tell your friends, if you wanna tell your family members, and you wanna tell your colleagues, you are gonna suffer. Thanks. The fourth thing, do the work of an evangelist. I know that word scares you, but we can't run away from it. It says it right there. You know, don't you love it when the Bible says a certain word and we gotta use it? Oh, we gotta shy away. Don't call them evangelists. Don't say evangelism, it's a secret. God, call it spiritual conversations. It's so much better. It's, ha, too bad. It says evangelist. What are you gonna do? It says evangelist. So the fill in the blank, you got it right. Evangelist. Sorry, bad news. We're all called to be evangelists. And you say, hey, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not bold like Paul and Peter. And you know what? I got great news for you. You may have the gift of administration, you may have the gift of hospitality. And that's how you are going to win people to the Lord. Now, of course, you're going to have to share a little, but you use other gifts. So don't think, well, this, I don't have the gift of teaching. You know, I'm not like Paul or Peter. I'm, I'm timid, and, and God's made me that way. You probably have gifts of encouragement with writing letters, with calling people on the phone, with getting together for meals and loving on people. You probably have the gift of encouragement. And don't you dare think you can't not use that for sharing the gospel. Absolutely, you can use that. I want to hit a few points here, and then we'll put some closure on this. Let me give you some practical tips. Uh, Nate and I tried to do this in a video. Um, If you've seen this video, you'll notice that Nate changed his clothes for video three. He just took off his jacket, actually. Now, I kept the same sweater on because I was sick. But anyways... Just in case you wanted to know, Nate only took off his jacket. <laughs> Go and check out the video. How do we do the work of an evangelist? The first thing is this. Deepen your friendships with these people. Absolutely. When you are a friend to them, they will listen to you. When they are in a crisis, I want them coming to you. Not to that Buddhist over there, not to the Mormon over there, not to the naturalist over there. When you deepen your friendships, all of a sudden you share about the gospel and love, it seems real, it's authentic. Enhance your friendships. How else do you do the work of evangelists too? Know their worldview. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but it's helpful to know what their background is, what they believe is true. Are they ever religious? Do they believe more in practical, technical things? Are they have more of a modern worldview? scientific worldview. What's their worldview? Three, be an active listener. I always say this. When we do the work of evangelists, you have to be an active listener. It's so easy for me to just shove, quote, truth down their throat. We treat them like computers, and we try to win an argument, and I'm going to show you why I'm right, and I'm going to show you why you're wrong, and we send all these stuff. That's, in general, that's probably not the way to do it. We want to be active listeners, build bridges, find common ground with our friends and family members, and listen to their hurts, their pains, their crisis. Listen to where they're at, and then we know where their journey is. The fourth thing I want to highlight is we play three roles. Three roles. One, sometimes we wear this hat called an academic scholar hat, sometimes. And so, you know, we, we need to know the truth. We need to be ready in season out of season. We need to know the worldview. Sometimes we have to wear this academic hat. The second row is just, this is the one that we tend to like the most. It's what we call a friendship hat. And so I take off my academic hat and I put my friendship cap on and that's when I come along and support and I encourage. And we usually wear that hat and that's what we're encouraging. Deepen friendships with people. That's the way to do it. And the third hat is more like a shepherd, a pastor, Spiritual counselor type person. And let me just give you one simple tip. When you share and talk with people and find out their hurts and prayers, find out their hurts and where they are in their life and their spiritual journey, just just simply say, may I pray for you? I mean, just start off with something like that. Can I pray for you? Most people will, you know, okay, sure, you can pray for me. And start praying for that friend. And the fifth thing I want to say about this, how do we do the work of evangelists? encourage self-discovery. I'm sharing the gospel with you. You're sharing the gospel with your friends, and God's going to bring them to salvation. You know, I'm not going to do it. Nate's not going to do it. Ron's not going to do it. It's the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. But this principle says that we lead them to self-discovery, right? When I learn things from myself, it tends to stick with me longer. I own it. I possess this truth, this value. I start to live it out because I learned it myself versus someone lecturing me or someone saying, this is the right thing. No, when I do self-discovery, the light goes on and it tends to stick a little longer. And so what we want to do is get these people, not in arguments, we get them on this path of self-discovery and search and seeking. That's how we do the work of evangelists. Verses 6-8, Paul ends this great section of scripture with his example. And he says simply this, that I am being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, I am like a sacrificial offering, sacrificial living. Paul's in prison, and this is his last letter, and he probably had the idea that he probably won't be released outside of a miracle from God. And we don't know all the details, but he dies in 65, 66, roughly. And he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering, Timothy. I have lived this sacrificial living. In other words, look to me, not because I'm arrogant, don't look to me, Timothy, because I'm great. But look to me as a model, right? Not because I'm better and stronger and smarter. But I've tried to live out this gospel, Timothy. And what have I done? I'm sacrificial living too. I have fought the good fight. Notice the analogy. There's fighting here. It's boxing maybe. It's finishing the race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I have kept the faith. Isn't that beautiful? And again, this is not Paul being arrogant. It sound, I know it may sound arrogant. But he's saying, when I became a follower of Christ, I've been sharing the gospel. I've been living something better and bigger than the Super Bowl. I've been living the gospel story. And I've been fighting, and I've been persevering. And at the end of my life, I finished it. I have finished this course. And I have kept the faith. Am I perfect? No. Do I struggle? Yes. But I've kept the faith. What a beautiful thing for us to say at the end of our lives. At the end of this marathon, we're on mile three maybe, mile five, mile eight, whatever, right? But at the end of our lives, whether we're 30, 50, 60, 80, 100, that we could say that humbly, yes, humbly by the grace of God. I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. And at the very end, he says, Timothy, the last thing I want to tell you, there's this crown of righteousness that Jesus Christ, the judge, will reward to all of us. What a beautiful thing to say. Your faith is not in vain. And this morning, as you, or this last week, or this morning, as you've written names on these shards, your prayer is not in vain. Inviting them to different opportunities is not in vain. And no matter how many spiritual conversations, and whether one or ten or, or zero, maybe zero, come to faith, you just be faithful. We should just be faithful to what God calls us to live out the gospel message, to do the work of evangelist. I want to close this sermon with a two-minute clip, roughly. It's from the movie Les Mis. And obviously, I'm going to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. I'm sure all of you have read the book, Victor Hugo, right? 1862. And Jean Valjean, or however you pronounce his name. My French is as good as my Cantonese. <laughs> it centers around him, but the clip we're going to see, it juxtaposes the idea of this student rebellion that took place June 5th to the 7th in 1832 in Paris. And basically, they were trying to reverse the establishment of Louis-Philippe in 1830. And as these characters come together, their students... There's a phrase they sing over and over. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because I think this is an analogy, an illustration. And here are some of the words. It talks about, do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. We are free in Jesus Christ. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of your drum, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. Many of you have heard the beating of the drum of Jesus Christ, and He's calling us to stand, to persevere, to do the work in evangelists. And so after this song, I'm going to close with a word of prayer. But as you see this clip, if you feel like standing, stand, not for the clip. Stand for Jesus Christ. Stand for the gospel. Stand because you want to make a difference in the lives of your family members and friends and colleagues. I want to challenge you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judged the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Let us preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. As we stand together, I want to pray for us right now. Lord, we stand for something better than the Super Bowl. We stand for something better than freedom in France. We stand for the gospel. We stand to share the gospel as evangelists, to fulfill the ministry that you've given us. My prayer is for all of us to be bold and courageous, to be humble and loving and hospitable. And Lord, as you move us to write down names on these shards at the end of the service, We do this in the power of you and the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Bridges Community Church, located in Fremont, California. For more information about Bridges Community Church, please visit us online at www.bridgescc.org.